of the BearCon episodes of Security Coffee House. Uh, tonight, myself, Jerk, and the Atomic Emergency Meeting Nikos will be your hosts, speaking with the beer farmers, Scott and Mike, and potentially Ian will drop by. And um, if you can make it, John and Sean have been uh, otherwise engaged in other secret beer farmers activities. Um, Panama, rum running, not um, not included. <laughs> um, but start by saying thanks very much to James Gore for everything he's done over the last few months um, from being a roadie, a mentor and a friend to people um, and then hosting um, all of these podcasts um, on his security coffee house um, to, for all the beer con episodes. So thank you very much for all the, the opportunities you've given and facilitated for everyone. Um, but we'll... Uh, Say hello to, to Scott and Mike. Welcome and thanks for spending another Saturday evening with us all. Um, um, and uh, as means of our first question um, for for you both, um, though Mike, I think this one is, is mainly for yourself, is uh, to introduce the beer farmers is how were the beer farmers born as a band and what were the actual origins of the band's name? Right. Okay, great question. Um, it took a while to come up with the answer to that. And even though we didn't know you were going to ask of it, we did actually spend a couple of days last week trying to figure out who we were and why we were and where the name came from. And it was thanks to a bit of deft Twitter searching by John that we even found out where the name came from. So I do actually have <clears throat> some kind of answer for that question, which is useful. So we started to become friends. Um, and, and I say we myself, Ian, John and Sean in around July 2018 and it all began because I'd met Ian at a conference at B-Sides Manchester uh, the year previous to that and we'd become kind of friends on Twitter and started re well, realised that we had a similar sort of sense of humour, i.e. a pretty evil sense of humour and we we had a session on Twitter in I think July 2018 where I'd pretended that I'd um, delivered a, a really shit conference talk at B-Sides Ulaanbaatar, which, for those that don't know the geography, is Mongolia. And <clears throat> I told a joke that insulted goats. And the result of that was me being captured by the event organisers and stuck in a yurt um, and, and held captive. And then my escape and Ian's subsequent attempts to rescue me were my physical transition out of Mongolia through Russia and so on and so forth and it was just bullshit and a bit of fun on Twitter and we just did a little bit of backwards and forwards and I lifted some images and stuff off Google and made it into a little bit of a story and that was the story of the uh, origin, origin I guess of the bear farmers and, and John Opdenacher and Sean Wright were kind of watching this play out on Twitter and uh, for whatever reason found it quite funny and started to chip in. And then we kind of set up a group, a DM group on Twitter and started chatting and becoming friends. Um, and what we all of us agreed was that Twitter is a horrible place. And I don't think it's got any better since then, really. And it needed a little bit of an injection of fun. And, and Infosec Twitter in particular needed a little bit of a, a fun injection right in the backside, quite honestly. So we thought about this and threw a few ideas around and started being a little bit more public on Twitter, sharing our views around incidents and events happening. Um, and then I made a statement <clears throat> and it was in a thread 
and it was it was around somebody making a point, and I said, well, if this is actually true, then I might as well quit the industry and become a beer farmer. And I didn't know what that meant, actually, when I tweeted it, but I tweeted it anyway. And then as the thread progressed, I, it occurred to me that we came up with a name for the gang that is now what you know as the beer farmers. So we became the beer farmers. And we didn't have a clue. <clears throat> we didn't have a manifesto, no plan, no anything. Um, other than that, we we all agreed that the information security industry takes itself too seriously and the people in it take themselves too seriously. And could we do something to make it a little bit more lighthearted and a bit more fun? And that was the essence of the origin of what the beer farmers are all about. So we started putting in talk um, applications into various conferences in the UK and not really expecting to get any accepted, but we did. And our first ever public appearance as a group was at B-Sides Leeds in 2019. And that was superb, really, you know, really packed audience. People had no idea what we were going to do. You know, I think some people thought we were going to turn up with guitars and drums and actually do music and sing songs about the good old days of Infosec. But no, we didn't. We turned up and talked about the bad things that go on in the industry and companies that don't care about your security and all that kind of thing, which is still true. Um, and it went down really well. And in, in 2019, we managed to do pretty much every B-Sides conference in the UK and quite a few of the other non-B-Sides things as well. We turned up and sang our songs and banged our cowbells and all that kind of thing. And we, we kind of created a bit of a brand, um, not for us though, but the whole point of it was for the industry and the people in it to raise awareness of the things going on. and But fundamentally, make it about people and not being dicks and all that kind of stuff and having fun, having a good time. And we had a few recruits and a few departures during last year. So Andy Gill and Chrissy Morgan joined us. So I'm pretty sure most people in the room know who those, those folks are. They came along, got involved for a little while. We had some celebrities involved. So we had people like Troy Hunt join us at gigs and things like that. Um, and then in this, well, this year, we um, realized that we couldn't go to conferences anymore. We couldn't meet our friends and have a beer and a meal and things like that and shake hands, well, basics. So we made it all go virtual and adapted to the conditions of the time and used the technology available to us. Um, so we did everything online. And then in August this year, Scott came along because um, we probably needed a little bit of a kick up the arse at that point. Uh, we were becoming stale, bit bit rolling stones, bit past it and all that kind of thing even after just two years uh, and scott came along and came along with some great new stuff and that was what it was all about so yeah that's a real whistle stop tour of the beer farmer's history okay thanks everyone awesome uh up to me um so hi scott hi mike hi everyone in attendance um so this question is for you scott specifically uh since you know as the newest member of the beer farmers, um, you have a certain perspective on the things the beer farmers do. And so you're also someone who speaks regularly on British media. Uh, last time was yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. And how has that specific experience of speaking on the media, you know, on various uh, occasions helped you on your path and since joining the band? Oh, um, 
Yeah, that's 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 kind of a tough question. So my day job, effectively, I work for myself. My day job is I do a lot of media appearances as, you know, the technical guy that they go to. And it's like, now, you know, Russia has hacked a submarine. Let's go to Scott and see what he says. And you're like, it's not Russia. Someone just didn't patch. Like, that's the kind of stuff I do day to day, really. Um, it's fun. It's different. You have to be really professional. How did that help me with the beer farmers? It did not because as soon as I joined the beer farmers, it was like, right, drop the bullshit, drop all the fucking nice nicety, just talk, just tell us what's wrong, what's broken, how we can fix it. Um, and that's pretty much it. It was, it was fun. And as for being outside the beer farmers and then in kind of a hokey-cokey situation, um, yeah, I, I knew of the beer farmers. I knew most of them individually on t- just from Twitter, like see Mike, see um Ian tweet something Sean tweet something um didn't really didn't really um take note a lot well I, d- I did take note that, that sounds really dismissive but I was like oh shit. yeah I, I, yeah it's like it's this guy one about no it's no um I didn't really have any aspirations of being a beer farmer it just kind of happened I joined happier got very drunk every Friday until the early hours um propped up the bar i think every single week um my liver is damaged as a result but from there i think it was just we started i can't remember what it was we're doing i think it was we're trying to organize elliot's interview um and we started talking a bit closer and and starting to go hey you know this is how we do streaming okay this is you know this is what we're going to do here um and then i i w- one day i just get black bagged thrown in the back of a van digitally um virtually because covid safe um and became a beer farmer i didn't get any choice it was just this is happening deal with it thank you very much it was it was voted in in. um uh, that leads on mike uh for your for yourself kind of leading us on to kind of the change in persona that scott's obviously talked about where he's he's dropped all this bullshit and, and kind of changed the way um how is it you do it yourself as a you know, balancing your professional life as an information security manager and your social media presence then as a beer farmer? Like, has there been a point where you need to speak to your company about your online presence in case anything reflects back on them? And as a kind of secondary part of that, would there be something you'd recommend to someone who's starting out who feels they tend to get into online arguments that then could link back to their employer as well? It's a really good question. And I, I did worry about it to begin with. Um, I noticed to begin with that my nobody in my company had an online presence <clears throat> and I work for Zen internet. So if you want to go and cause me a problem, that's fine. Um, but th- there was nobody acting in any kind of public fashion that worked in the, for the company. And so I was kind of like the first and I was nervous about it. You know, you start tweeting, you start upsetting people. <clears throat> and next thing you know that you get doxxed or somebody goes and complains to your manager or whatever, and it just never happened. And part of the reason that it probably never happened was because I tried to be authoritative in my approach in what we do or what I do when I'm on social media. And yes, I can be a little bit abrasive at times, but that's just who I am. <clears throat> if, and if people don't like it, then they can easily unfollow me. And many do. Um, but bridging the gap between professional life and, and online, uh, the social profile, is about, I think, knowing what you're talking about and being really careful about how you pick arguments and remember that that tweet you send at three o'clock in the morning 
that you thought was right might well be the one that undoes you by 8 a.m. You know, by the time you next log into Twitter and find all those people that want to shoot in the face. Um, <clears throat> but the company's perspective is that my, my output on social media my, and my interaction in the community generally is a good thing. They see it as a good means of me taking information out from the things that I learn, not just from within the organization, but from being in the community, going out into the industry and sharing knowledge and, and, and stuff, but learning new things as well that I can then bring back into the organization and make it better. You know, we're not, I'm not an expert, right? There are people out there that are also not experts, but they're doing cool things that we're not doing. And that's, that's what it's all about, sharing that knowledge and bringing it back in. Um, and I also think fundamentally the company thinks, oh, we better leave him to it, right? As long as he doesn't really materially cause us any problems, then Mike's Mike and just get on with it. Yeah. Uh, talking about getting on with it and, uh, you know, going back to your uh, thing about uh, Mongolia and being uh, extradited on a plane or well, gotten out, um, how do you recommend it, Alain Bator, as a tourist spot? It's great. They've got really, really good food. The culture is fantastic. There's some really excellent black, dark metal out there as well, if you're into your real heavy music. <clears throat> um, real screamo stuff that you would never expect. So I think it's a fantastic country. It's got every different type of weather. So if you like wintry weather, awesome. If you like summer heat, awesome too. It's not far from China, so you can get over there and get really badly treated in a human rights fashion. If that's what you want to do, no problem. Scott's like, oh, God, Mike. <laughs> I just let you roll with it. So. Um, you've mentioned about, um, so there's been a question um, in relation to the Twitter usage from Chris um, about how Twitter can be weird gatekeepers, people who insist on you staying in your lane, like not, not, you know, not developing follower hunters, and then the other side of it, people trying to keep it professional. Um, but how do you, as beer farmers, uh, feel you use it at its best? And we'll throw that one straight to Scott. To, yeah, to I have a lot to say on this. Um, it's not uncommon to find me in a Twitter argument with someone at some point. This happens a lot. Mike's comment about, you know, the tweet you send at 3am could outdo you, or un that's the one that could do you in. That happens to me a lot, but I don't care. Because a lot of the stuff that I'm fighting about is usually kind of valid points and they, they don't tend to be like, they, people moan all the time and they gatekeep and they do a lot of stuff that just annoys me in the industry. And we're arguing over a, like, we're arguing over a, a digital gold star when there's actually people that are being impacted by healthcare breaches, by anything, ransomware in hospitals still happens people are moaning about getting a gold star. That's kind of sucky. And you're like, well, why? Explain it to me. And I always end up getting the the, the short end of the stick in that. But um, I like to question things. And I think one of the things that I've seen in the industry recently is you're not allowed to question people anymore, which sucks. You're not allowed to have a difference of opinion and say to someone, I disagree wholly with your research. You are not disclosing this responsibly. I don't think this is cool. Um, I did actually have an interaction with someone the other day and it surprised me because we follow each other. I disagreed with something they said. It was a long run thread. They did not unfollow me and they did not block me. That is rare. When, what point did we get to where, you know, being able to say to someone, I don't agree with you, turned into, okay, I'm going to kebab you. 
like it's stupid um but yeah I, there's a few few things i won't touch with the barge pole but I, yeah i'm definitely the most mouthy gobby beer farmers member i think on twitter um although mike you have your moments i do have my moments um i think it's weird isn't it we're in a life now where your tweets get peer-reviewed unfortunately they get peer-reviewed after you publish them and that's not really a great academic way of existing um but the whole point of twitter originally was around stream of consciousness sharing what you think right and i, I have a beef with twitter around people that get pissed off because i tweet about football yeah or i tweet about family or whatever whatever is on my mind at any given time and if you look at twitter before you put something in it says what's happening you know before you actually post a tweet it asks you what's happening well, what's happening is I <clears throat> just went for a piss, right? People can't compute this. And we're talking about some of the most intelligent people out there in the world. They can't compute and detach the idea that people that use social media use it. The key word is social, right? It's social media. And you can use that platform for anything, that, providing that it's not offensive and abhorrent and degrading of other individuals then you can do whatever you like with it. You can talk about your cats. You can post pictures of your lunch. You can talk about InfoSec. You can talk about neat hacks. Do whatever you like with it. People don't like that. Then there's something, it says more about that individual than it says about you. Okay, that's my take. Fantastic. Um, so now we have an open question from the chat, uh, which is how do you draw the line between sharing information and consulting, uh, given that some employers are twitchy in that area? I've got a brief answer for that. I'm not in the consultancy space, so it's not a big deal for me. So the things I say and share are not costing anybody any money. It's purely wisdom and experience. Yeah. I'm not self-employed, so Scott might have a more elaborate answer to that. But for me, if we've done something cool at work, <clears throat> they're happy that people find out about it. Scott, your floor, mate. Uh, there's some projects I'm involved in. I don't, I can't disclose. Um, other than that, everything else, it's like, you know what you're buying. You know what you're buying when you hire me. You know I'm a bit of a gobshite. Um, I am going to be tweeting a lot. And if you piss me off or don't pay me in time or something really horrendous goes on, then I'm going to write an article about it somewhere. But for the most part, you know what you're buying. There's other reasons people don't hire me purely because I'm mouthy on Twitter. They hire me for projects I've been involved in or work I've done or specific specialisms I have. They don't care. Um you know they they know it's a risk um with anyone really but i'd like to think that if you're hiring me and you're worried about me tweeting about a lot of wrong stuff that's going on then you're not a client or organization i want to work for because if you're trying you're trying to plaster over a lot of bad stuff that really should be public so yeah i don't go around doxing people but i know it's a risk given my pinned tweet <laughs> Always, always the way. If you've not unfollowed or blocked you at some point, uh, something, uh, something going wrong sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, as a, as the beer farmers have, uh, have said previously, there was BeerCon 1 last December, and for a long time, it was all the talk was it was one and done. It's taken a lot of you, a lot out of you, you know, running for, for over 24 hours. Um, but you've also, during the summer, been quite critical of other cons who remain nameless for now. 
uh, cancelling their physical events and de-enfranchising rookie speakers. Um, and I've cited it as one of the main motivations you had to build BeerCon 2 as a fully virtual rookies only conference. Um, what was the turning point that as a group made you change your mind, then revitalize it and turn it into a completely rookie conference um, being so different from BeerCon 1? I think the question contains the answer really, Jeff, if we're honest. So we'd put in CFP re- replies into conferences and had a you know a few accepted um so we were really excited about it <clears throat> but probably far less excited than the rookies the the first to get their talks in and get them accepted there's no feeling like getting your first acceptance if, if, if public speaking is what you want to do or what you want to try at least um then there's nothing quite as great as getting that congratulations you've been accepted to xyz conference and when COVID happened, and it's taken 20 minutes before we mentioned COVID, so we've done pretty well there, uh, <clears throat> it became really quickly apparent that, nah, these conferences ain't happening. And it became frustrating because there were certain conferences that were realistic about it. So I'll give you an example. Any secular turd hack. You know, they, they, we were booked to go speak there, but they were really early, almost first past the post of saying, it ain't happening. We're not doing it. And so great they got it out the out the way early the expectation was dealt with and then there were other conferences that were like no we're still going to go ahead with this and it'll be fine and we'll work it out and yada 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 um but we knew it was never going to be the case things just gradually got worse and worse and worse and the likelihood of conferences actually physically occurring became less and less and less and we we got together and just thought that's pretty shit you know, if you're a rookie and you've been given the green light and the thumbs up to come and talk at our co- a conference, then COVID has really taken a colossal shit on your plans for this year. So is there something that we could do that might make it a little bit less rubbish and a little easier and a little happier for people? And the answer was really easy. Of course it was. We'd done BeerCon 1. We knew it was feasible. We knew you could run, or get people involved in online. Um, when I think back on BeerCon 1, it was... It was well produced by Matt, dated Ryan. Um, he did a great job of it. But we knew that we could learn from that and do even better and get better production values in place and get better graphics and, and streaming dealt with and all that kind of thing. So we were pretty confident that we could do a good job of it. And so what we did was reach out to people and say, look, hey, have you had a conference talk accepted as a rookie but have had to have have it cancelled simply because of the situation? Um, come and come and talk to us. Yeah, we'd love to hear you speak, and we'll we'll go through a sort of CFP process. Um, but we'll put something on. We'll we'll do something, and it won't be about us. It won't be about charity. It'll be about speakers and the opportunities for those people. We reached out to a couple of conferences that had already that had were running rookie tracks. Asked them to maybe get involved in supporting us. Unfortunately, they didn't bother, and they know who they are. I'm not going to name them but they know who they are. Um, but ironically, we did attract quite a few speakers from some of those conferences anyway. And then kind of in the middle of all this, Scott then joined the Bear Farmers. So he got involved in it. And I'm going to let him maybe carry on the story a little bit there. Sure. Um, the, the, to, to specifically answer your question, I think the turning point was we, we got wind of 
uh, a message, I guess, that was sent to speakers saying no one really wants to sit on Zoom calls every day. Um, And that pissed me off. That really pissed me off because it's not... If I were to turn around to a rookie and say, nah, you don't really want to speak anyway this year, it's kind of crap, that person might never do it again. This was their one... time that they, were, they built up enough courage to submit a CFP, let them speak if they can. And we work in tech. It's not difficult for us to do a tech conference or even a Zoom call and just get everybody in the same room and just chat and just share ideas, kind of like the B-side B idea. Um, but yeah, that was a tipping point for us, um, for me anyway. I was like, that, that that is not your choice to make. It is a rookie's choice to go, would you like a virtual event or do you want to just forget about it? Um, and at which point, as soon as we started thinking about BeerCon 2, uh, and, you know, I'm a new member of the beer farmers at this point, so I was like, I just want to stay quiet and not, like, be an idiot. I was like, hey, look, you know, average at Photoshop and Illustrator and things like that. I can mock stuff up in After Effects, you know, make it look kind of that epic quality because, or better quality than just something slapped together because, these, these are a lot of rookies. It's a first talk. We don't want them to come along to a dumpster fire. We want them to actually go, that was brilliant. I want to keep doing it. And I just kept stealing elements from other cons I'd been to, other cons I'd seen online. I was like, hey, you know, we really need this. We really need a, a, an intro video. I think that I did that three days before we went live. Um, I was like, Dad, this. I went to a conference once. They showed a video like this at the start. It got everybody super pumped. I'm like, yeah, we, we need that video online at the start of the conference and both days um yeah and we just we just um we chatted a lot about how to put it on um and i think um i know james has just fired a question in which kind of touches on this but we were kind of blown away by the amount of people that actually interacted and came out and said i want to help you um came out and said i want to talk came out and said i want to mentor um which is pretty damn cool um yeah yeah in support of the answer to james's question as well <clears throat> i was beginning to think you know what value does the bear farmers actually deliver and there's no point in us existing if we don't deliver any kind of value if we don't mean anything happy hour was great but it was a self-propelling vehicle you know we, we started happy hour but it was we could have stepped away and we did ultimately step away and let it run and it carried on running and it's still running now <clears throat> but when when we decided to do beercon 2 we took a bit of a risk because it's gonna right hey we did beercon 1 and it was full of many people you've heard of and a few people you're less familiar with <clears throat> but we did that um we're doing beercon 2 we needed people to trust that we were going to handle it properly because it's it's Believe me, it might sound difficult, but it's not that difficult to get somebody that's relatively famous in InfoSec and say, hey, famous person in InfoSec, would you like an, another platform to sell your shit? Yeah, that's not going to cost you any money, but will probably get you a million new followers on your social media thing of choice. They all come to you like they flock around it, right? With people that are relatively new, not necessarily to the industry, but certainly new to public address, public speaking. It's like, well, why should I trust you? You know, I don't want to put, I've heard of B-sides. I've heard of DEFCON's various rookie villages. I've never heard of the bear farmers doing conferences and stuff. Yeah, you did that one last year, but that was for charity, mate. And you had all these famous people there. 
So that was a risk I think we took, a really big risk. But what we didn't do was try and lie and make it something it wasn't. We were completely open and transparent about the whole point. So you come and speak, we'll deal with everything else, right? And that was the original premise of it. If you want to come and speak, send us an email and we'll have a look at what you want to say. And it's highly likely that we'll accept it, given that a lot of the people that applied had already had talks accepted at other conferences. So they'd been through a kind of a kind of initial triage, if you like, as to as to whether the talks were suitable for conferences. Somebody else did the work for us in that respect. But then it was down to us to make it a pleasant experience for people. And I say us, I mean the beer farmers, but then the people that got involved in in, in the engineering department, if you like. Um, and that's that's the, the mentors. Then we believe us, we had nothing to do with the mentor thing. It was not we didn't dip into it. We weren't even allowed in the bloody Slack group that was around it. Yeah, no visibility. Um, we didn't attend the workshops. We didn't attend the one to ones. We didn't attend any of that development stuff that went on to help make the uh, make the journey easier, more comfortable for the speakers. And then on the day, you know, we had the we had Jer, Lennop, Dave in the uh, in the vacuum i think it's probably fair to call it now it's a little bit of a oh i'm the only i'm the only person in here um, <laughs> in that transition phase between bringing the speaker into the, the conference event and then dropping them depositing them if you like into the into the room where the beer farmers were doing the actual um delivery i think so the keyword for me was a big trust thing people placed a lot of trust in what we, we said we were going to do and and I hope that we delivered on that promise to people. So yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I have a follow up question for both of you concerning BeerCon two. Um, so you know you've talked about uh, BeerCon two as the effect it had on people, uh, or how you organized it. But what impact had it? Uh, did it have? Sorry, my bad. On both of you individually. Go on, Scott. Uh, yeah, for, for me, um, I've never been to any conference. I know it's our conference. So it's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you do, do a drawing or something and go, look, this is excellent. Um, it's better than a Picasso, but I, it, I've never been to a conference. I've been to a lot of conferences from low budget, no budget, internal conferences to massive European beautiful conferences with stadiums and all this kind of garbage and st actual stages and light crews and stuff. I've not been to any of them that is as positive impact and it still keeps me smiling. I was actually happy to box up everybody's swag. I was really happy about the whole thing. I gladly spent more hours than I care to admit on Photoshop or Illustrator or After Effects or Premiere Pro and OBS trying to get things just, just right during the time and even after, like the t-shirts and stuff that took a lot of time. Uh, we, we all worked on it, but it was like, I'm happy to give my time there. I'm obviously not getting paid for it, except in um, BeerCoin, which we'll share a link to BeerCoin soon. But yeah, it just a massive positive impact and we still walk away. Yep, there's the there's the coin, beer coin. It is worth about, I think, half a Bitcoin each. Trade them in. But uh, no, it had a massive positive impact for me because A, we got to help people and we got to do what we wanted. Two, 
we're not getting the publicity. We're not getting all the good feedback. The rookies are, which is awesome. It has exact intent. You see a lot of people being altruistic, um, going, oh, I want to help this person. But then they rebrand themselves as like a massive mentor on Twitter or LinkedIn and say, hey, you know, I am this person's go-to person and I molded this person. They take the credit. We didn't we didn't want to do that. We didn't want it implied and it never happened. And then thirdly, see the amount of good feedback that I see flying around. That's awesome. So it, it makes me feel really happy. I think Mike feels the same. I do. Uh, <clears throat> I think how did it personally affect me? It was a bit I was mentioning previously about this trust thing. So it's like, well, are the bear farmers meaningful? Do we have any value? Um, do we have any substance? Let's find out. <clears throat> Let's attract a bunch of new people into the industry to come and speak at our conference. If we get tumbleweeds, then no, we, we fucking messed up, right? But we didn't get tumbleweeds. We got actual responses without actually having to go out and beat people up and go, come and speak at our conference, right? <clears throat> so that kind of worked. Um, it became a little bit um, revelatory when we realized that we're <clears throat> going to have to do a two-day conference again. But we were quite clear on the fact that it was not going to be a 24-hour conference. It was going to be two back-to-back -back days because we had a lot of quality and we knew we could fill a conference over two days, which we did. Um, we had, I think, what was it, 33 applicants and I think 29 speakers. So I want to I'll just pick up on a, a previous point, which was, there was a question, I think, that James asked. We had a couple of people that did apply. In fact, we had a person apply on behalf of somebody else. I think that happened, didn't it, Scott? Yes. So we had one person that was an international keynote speaker. And then we had one person apply on behalf of their CEO, I think it was. My CEO is interested in speaking at your conference. What do you think? And we went, nah, now we'll leave it. Yep, indeed. Scott's always there with the, the graphics that are needed right on point. As a reply. <laughs> Definitely. And um, so we, we, we turned down two speakers. And the only reason we turned the two speakers down was the fact that they were clearly not rookies. And they'd missed the entire idea of what we were trying to do. And they were ultimately, without, without putting words in their mouth, they were asking for a, a platform for them to continue their marketing campaign of themselves or the organizations that they work for. So that was kind of cool. Um, when we got all the engineering decisions made and things like what we're doing about graphics and audio and all that kind of thing, um, which a lot of that was largely down to Scott in all fairness, it became a little bit less stressful. And we're not really good at doing long-term planning, by the way. We're good at doing things last minute. And Scott alluded to that point earlier. I've rocked up a, I've rocked up a superb intro video like two nights before we're doing the conference. What do you think? Well, it's fucking brilliant, but... How are we going to fit this in? <clears throat> I'll leave it with me, and we'll work it out. And we did. We we Scott worked it out, and it was kind of it, it was odd because we launched the conference with that video, and it was like, oh, and then it's us. Sorry, video is brilliant, and then you just stuck with the bear farmers after that video. There's like a Hollywood intro, and then Coronation Street right after it, but but it was cool. And I think to finish the the experience we had with BearCon One was invaluable. You know, Scott spoke at Bacon once, so he was part and parcel of that event. Um, but it showed us that we, we could do something 
you know, it showed us that if we planned a little bit and we you know, got people involved to help um, and gave it some thought, then we could achieve it. So when it came out of deciding that we were going to do BeerCon 2, it wasn't like we've never done this before. We, we put that question to bed. We've already done something like this that was a mammoth event. So let's just make it really cool and do it, do the thing that we want to do, but make it as cool as we possibly can. And I think that's what we did. Fair enough. Uh, you did mention that you were only looking for rookies. Uh, that also does include people that you didn't necessarily know. So, of course, you had 12 applicants from uh, InfoSec Happy Hour. So, you know, that weekly uh, event on Friday nights that you mentioned. Uh, so 10 out of the 27 talks. But there is that notion of risk. You're providing a platform, as you said, uh, which, of course, doesn't, you know, uh, isn't specific for, you know, uh, pro speakers. But then again, you have rookie speakers. You don't know who's speaking and if they're going to be speaking something of, uh, you know, substance or something that could just destroy the entire spirit of your conference. So any comments on that? I have one. Um, it's, I only thought about it on the morning of, I think it was about 8 a.m., I got up. I had I got up earlier, but I had my coffee, and we joined uh, the call, the the Zoom room for the conference, and it was myself, James Bohr, Jer, Leonard, Mike, Sean, Dave Mack. We were all there. We we're all ready, and I just had this sudden thought of: we have twenty nine speakers, twenty seven different talks over two days. We don't know anything about these people. We don't know if they're 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 uh, cap they're going to be capable whether they're going to be able to speak um they might just turn up and totally shit the bed on our twitch account we don't know we don't we can't even control some of these people we had no idea we didn't know where they came from they just applied and they could come on and say horrendous crap or just fud they didn't know it didn't happen and i think it didn't happen because we did vet all the cfps we did look at the topics and went, yeah, okay. We tried to check out, hey, you know, Jer, have you ever spoken somewhere before? No, okay. You know, we did a quick search. We looked around conferences. We looked on LinkedIn just for you going, hey, I spoke at this international conference. And then you would get a really nice email from me saying no. But it was technically really risky, but I don't think any of us were actually worried because of the support given by mentors and the quality of the submissions that we received. We were like, even if you die in your arse, it's still a better talk than what I would have given. So yeah, go for it. So yeah, that's my point of view. I agree with that completely. Um, we had a, a bit of luxury in some respects because A, some of the talks had already been accepted. So we knew that that was the case. Um, we knew a few of the people. I mean, actually, I'll be honest, there were quite a few I, I, people I didn't know who they were. Um, so it wasn't like we just brought a lot of friends along for a, a you know, for a party. Um, but the, the mentoring process, I assume, I, I don't even know, actually, but I assume that the vast majority of the people that turned up and spoke went through the mentoring process. You know, whether they went through the workshops or one-to-ones. I know for a fact that some of the, the speakers had mentors outside of the, of the conference organization that, that they spoke with. Some people who we know are pretty well experienced in, in conference speaking and delivering material. So I, I wasn't really all that worried. I'll be perfectly honest. And I also felt that we weren't really taking a massive risk. We would probably have 
probably deployed contingency measures had things gone wrong. Yeah, we might have had to do a little bit of filling, a few jokes and singing a few songs, but it never happened. And that's part of why you do things like this. It's been a bit brave. You know, we, we were brave in doing the conference, but it wasn't half as brave as the people that had never done a conference talk before coming along and doing a talk. So you've got to match risk with risk and respect that. Agreed. Um, another question from the audience we've had as well, let's say, because we've touched a bit, we were talking about the, the mentoring, and see, myself and Nico spoke at, at BeerCon, so we got the, the full power of uh, of the mentors helping us out and various uh, running a workshop for us and um, being available all the time. And as you say, you, you excluded yourselves from that Slack channel so that we were able to just feel quite at ease of, I can ask any question and the guys running it aren't going to go, Jar, come here. Where this isn't going to work out, like that. There was there was none none of that. So uh, that you could possibly see for that kind of chat. Um, do you see that that kind of mentoring that you've kind of put in place uh, that you put in place for BeerCon two, or that kind of grew out of BeerCon two? Because you say yourselves you were approached by people to go, I'd like to mentor um, and want to help out. Will you see this moving forward as an essential component on uh, future conferences? Um, including even with experienced speakers of given given option of you know someone to mentor yeah <clears throat> uh, it, there's a broader question there is would we do this again and the answer is yes we would do it again and it would probably based on the success of bacon too we'd probably just maybe reformat it slightly but do the same thing in essence do exactly the same thing so <clears throat> to the actual question it would be great to maybe get previous speakers involved in the mentoring process. Now you've been through it and you've been through being mentored and then been through the experience of speaking. Um, when you've come out the other end of that, how did that make you feel? Did it make you feel more confident? Uh, to a point that uh, Zoe Rose mentioned in it, we had Zoe on a chat with us the other day and she was like, quite rightly, it could be a one and done for some speakers because speaking isn't for everybody and you can go into it and go, right, I've done it now. I'm glad it's over. I'm de- I don't want to ever do it again. <clears throat> and that's perfectly acceptable. It's perfectly fine, right? Because not everything not everything is for every person. But for the people that want to continue with it, you know, I'd, I'd be more than happy to reach out next time we do something like this and go, hey, you spoke at Bacon 2. How do you fancy mentoring and buddying somebody that spoke at the previous one? You know, for the next talk, talk that we do, a conference that we do. Um because it's it's great. I think James mentioned it last week that we the bear farmers have become a noob factory or a rookie factory or something like that. And then it's a high standard that you've got to maintain because you're dealing with people's futures. So we've got a lot of responsibility to make sure that we don't fuck that up. So, but that's a responsibility that we decided we wanted to take, and and we've got to live with that and, and continue it as, as long as we choose to do that. So, yeah, that's my take. Do you think that'll um, shift the mindset then of other conferences? when they see but look back on what BeerCon has done, do you think there's going to be like a shift in how you know future um, virtual conferences have done over the next couple of months or so? People will, will take what you've learned, what they learned from watching BeerCon and obviously the various chats that have happened. Um, do you think that slowly but surely there'll be a, a slight shift in how people actually put forward their, their conferences and how they, they implement various things that have learned from BeerCon? Well, I think the, uh, the paradigm is now change forever really you know and yes we will get back to a level of something where we can get back to you know meeting up again and stuff like that 
But some of the snobbery of this, nobody wants to sit in another Zoom meeting. is just basically cutting the head off the opportunity for individuals to share their experience and meet. You know, imagine an organization saying, it's all right, guys, we're not doing meetings anymore because nobody wants to use Zoom, you know, or Teams or whatever. <clears throat> so it's fine as you were. It's bullshit. All right. What we've done is evolved it and adapted it. And we're not unique. There are a lot of other um, conference organizations that have been doing a similar sort of thing. <clears throat> what we've tried to do is be positive about it and make the best out of the situation. And we'll continue to do that. So you'll have two things, Jay. You'll have conference organizers that will go, we found a good, a good playing field here. We can play the ball on, right? And we'll continue to do that. And we'll make it better as we go along. Or there'll be the ones that die. That die and that'll be the end of it because they're pig-headed and stuck in this old-fashioned um, paradigm that this is how we do things. So, But we'll continue to do it. Make it optional. If, you can turn it, if we do get to a point where you can get in a room with other people and do both, right? Because there's going to be people that don't want to go to conferences anymore simply because they're, they're uncomfortable with the idea of social interaction for health reasons, whatever, you know. So make, make, make it both. Live stream something. Get a few people in a room do it it's adapt or die improvise or die right scott platform doesn't matter it's content that's it you know at, at the end of the day um just to follow up mike's point and i'll i'll kind of talk about like the mentor stuff in a sec but yeah platform doesn't matter to me i don't care whether it's virtual i don't care whether it's hybrid i don't care whether it's in person um it doesn't really bother me the point is what am i getting out of this am i able to Go along and meet really cool people, wherever that go along to is, whether it's virtual, whether it's hybrid, or whether it's just down the road, or you know, you know, going to London or something. Fine. Am I going to get something good out of it? And that something good could be the content, it could just be networking, it could just be, you know, I met one really cool person that gave me a, a gig and introduced me to Mike, for example, and then Mike introduced me to Ian. And you know, is it just that is a benefit? Um, but to come back to your actual question, do I don't think I don't think the beer farmers are going to impact the likes of TED Talks. Like I don't think that's going to change how they run. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at what we did, and especially with the autopsy document that I released, um, for full transparency and full. Hey, if you want to run a conference, it's not that hard. I'm an idiot, and we did it. So here's a document to prove it, um, and here's some stats and. And here's things we would have done better or changed or, you know, here's some issues we ran into with Zoom. But coming back to the, the original question that you asked about mentors, that was an, uh, that was an accident, a happy accident, a really nice one. Um, I remember one day getting a text message off Claire, um, one of our mentors, who said, hey, I am mentoring uh, Chloe, Charlie and Jen uh, for their talk. I was thinking about doing it over Zoom do you have any other any other people that want to join join in? Because I actually talk about public speaking a lot and communication, so it might be good. At which point I think I messaged James and said, hey, do you fancy joining in in this? And then it kind of grew and expanded, grew legs and took off in its own right. And I think, honestly, mentors should be a part of any con. Just having someone there to have your back and go, that font looks crap that color looks off it looks like vomit when you put it on a screen hey you you know you can't use video in your powerpoint because it just dies or when you do it you need to make sure you change this setting for example um, that i will say our mentors were far kinder than that 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, you know what I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, a wee bit more straight to the point with that kind of stuff, but uh, just having someone that has your back and one of, one of the things that I found quite remarkable was I know you speakers had your own private little Zooms where you were running through your slides with the mentors and that was nice. What I didn't realize until very recently was other speakers were joining in and helping each other out. That is cool. Um, and I think Dave referred to it last week as, you know, oh crap, I'm a mentor. No one ever told me this. This is all of a sudden, this is out of the blue. Yeah, take the label of mentor off it. I think having peer review, just people there that have your back and say, that looks garbage or that looks amazing, you know, and asking you questions before you go into it. Absolutely. Uh, I think it should be for everyone. And it's that camaraderie, isn't it, Scott? The the idea that, you, that to use your term, happy accident, um, we've managed to, I say we, collectively, we've managed to bring together a group of people that have done something that's unique, that yeah. they've done, you know, and that it can never be detracted from them. It's exactly the thing that they wanted to do. They got there. They did a sterling job, an absolutely fantastic job of it. Um, and it'll live with them forever. You know, part of the outcome or output from this was not just the experience of doing the talk. It was that the speakers have an artifact. Not, and I don't just mean one of those. <clears throat> they have um, a thing that they can put on their life experience, their professional experience on their CV, whatever. It's a, it's a little thing that they can point people to and go, I did that. I did that. Because no matter how we mentored people, no matter the organizational structure of it the emceeing and comparing on the day that we did it was still the speakers that delivered the material and without that then we might as well have just been scott and i telling shit jokes for two days nobody would really wanted to come and see that and so that was the whole point of it <clears throat> was that it was the speakers getting something out of it and the people that came along and i think we had, how many people came along two thousand people came along i mean think let me just leave that number there 2,000 people came to that conference. Now, you're talking significant numbers there. From it, For an independent conference run within the UK, but reaching out to the rest of the planet, you don't get any more than that in a physical conference in the UK, unless it's like Infosec Europe, which is a huge vendor-driven thing. You know, we, we had probably 500 to 700 more people than even B-Size London gets rocking up. And that's the biggest B-size conference in the UK. So the reach, the reach should not be understated. A lot of people came along and saw, you know, Nico, Jer, everybody else delivering their first ever talk. It's remarkable. Indeed, it is. Um, so I wanted to bounce back to something uh, Scott and I discussed privately, uh, which was that. You know, the beer farmers don't have a monopoly on uh, rookie conferences, to which I uh, gently responded that, yes, but they had a monopoly on the best rookie conferences. Um, <laughs> I kind of wanted to ask if the beer farmers would consider running rookie t uh, tracks for other conferences, like, uh, oh, yeah, a DEFCON rookie brought to you by the beer farmers. Um, or is that rookie element something you want to retain for your own brand of conferences, uh, while still presenting at, say, DEFCON? 
here's the thing we don't uh, this is this is kind of like one of the reasons why i was like absolutely i'm joining the beer farmers we don't do stuff because it makes us look good and i think when you start going down that route of the you know defcon sponsored by the beer farmers rookie track it starts to get a bit in my mind anyway um might disagree it, it, it sounds a bit shit and it's basically about like it's an ego trip then we are the people known for being a noob factory um and then we control you know see that person that now works at you know uh spacex yeah we mentored them we we gave them their opportunity they should always be thankful to the beer farmers i don't want to be that person i don't think the beer farmers want to be that group i'm pretty sure mike doesn't want to be that person so I think it would need to be handled extremely delicately if we wanted to do a you know rookie track brought to you by the beer farmers. We would need full operational control of it. We would need full um, oversight and full transparency to make sure that people who were speaking were genuine rookies, but also that people who applied and got the knockback where it wasn't because, oh, I know that person, I've blocked them on Twitter and I don't like them. That's not a valid reason to reject someone's paper in my opinion. Um, yeah, okay, block them if they're a neo-Nazi and reject them for that, but don't reject them because you just don't like their hair or something. You know, it's some stupid crap like that. So we need to be very delicate, I think. Well, yeah. speaking of the of the rejections, um, when you were saying about the, you know, the call for papers, um, when you got the papers in, uh, did you find when you were reviewing them that you had a clear theme in mind? Um, was it just the, the rookies or... Did it also impact from, you know, did it grow, as Chris has asked, did it grow from the offer top topics, uh, i.e. was the focus on rookies or rookies who fit uh, a predetermined theme you had? Being well, we, did, theme. we didn't have a theme at all, Jer. <clears throat> the idea was it was going to be completely rookie driven. And I don't, I can't speak for everybody in the room, but I've been to quite a few conferences and don't, I've made every effort to go and see rookie tracks when I've been at conferences. And what always struck me was the variety that was always on, on display within rookie tracks. <clears throat> so you could go into a rookie track and one talks about steganography. Next talks about dealing with the C-suite. Think, a rookie is doing a talk about the C-suite. <clears throat> and I'm talking about Sophia McCall there, by the way, who did an excellent job of delivering a talk about how you interface with management around the matter of security. Um, so I think, we looked at the talks and went, we've got a real smorgasbord of things here. You know, you've got a bit of GDPR stuff thrown in there. You've got a bit of, you know, LARPing. What? How the hell can we make LARPing into a security concern? Bloody did it, right? Because of the quality of the of the time spent in making and crafting the talks. So that was a real, it, it was delightful, if I'm honest, to be able to not have like, oh, it's predominantly red team stuff or it's predominantly blue team stuff. It's just a bit of everything. It's about people, it's about tech, and it's about this and that and the other. So it was probably really lucky, actually, that we had that wide variety of people that came up with different stuff. So, yeah. <clears throat> oh, oh, I just want to build on Scott's point, by the way, about continuing the, the Bear Farmer's mission. And, and would we, what would we do? Nick has his question. Um, probably both, really. Um, we may wish to speak ourselves again at conferences. You know, we haven't done a bad job of it previously. Um, <clears throat> we've always got something to say. You can follow us on Twitter for 10 minutes and you'll figure that one out. Um, it would be it would be good to carry on the beer farm as, as a thing that, you know, an entity that go out and talk to people. And we'd like to do that. 
we'd like to engage different audiences. We've spoken about this a lot rather than preaching to the converted all the time, like a lot of us in the industry tend to do. Um, speak to the unconverted people in technology and, and industry and users and things like that that are not necessarily inside the bubble of information security. And they're actually the people that need these messages. We don't. We're sick of arguing with each other, right? We go, oh, yeah, you agree. Oh, I agree. Yeah, we agree. Oh, great. Right. See you tomorrow. And then carry on. <clears throat> we need to be tell, telling industry and the user base about the stuff that we seem to agree on. Um, I'm not entirely cool with the idea of brought to you by the bear farmers and branded the bear farmers things. It feels like dog shit to me. Not what I got. The, and it's not what I got into this for. I got into this because somebody did me a favor once that helped me in my career. And then I feel really satisfied by helping somebody in their career. And then I feel even more satisfied by that person helping the next person in their career. And that pay forward concept seems to ring really true with me. And that's, that's kind of the thing I get out of this more than anything else. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so, you know, since this was a rookie con, we're going to keep talking about rookies. Um, the focus on uh, rookies, you know, uh, was it an entirely altruistic focus, like uh, just from seeing all of these, you know, disenfranchised rookies? Uh, or did you have, were you expecting that might deliver something uh, more varied, something richer, like a richer event? Scott. <laughs> Scott's pointing at me. I'm pointing at Scott. <laughs> Spider Man. Oh, I'm Spider Man. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, it's a bunch of questions in one, that, isn't it? Altruism. Well, I think it must have been altruism because we didn't get paid for it, right? And we didn't want any kudos from it. Um, so that I think that's part of the definition of altruism is that you do it for somebody other than yourself, right? And that's exactly the spirit and the sentiment by which we did it. Um, with Beercon 1, it was a bit different. We did it for charity. But then again, that's altruism, isn't it? Because we didn't get paid for it. And we put a lot of time and effort into something that we got satisfaction from and maybe satisfaction is selfish i don't know it's a debatable point isn't it but it's not a bad thing to be happy that you've done something good and helpful for other people so yeah again i think that that makes it somewhat altruistic i think um scott over to you for part two of the answer sir yeah i got i got a massive kick out of helping people um i i love um, this idea that as long as you're not a douchebag, um, I will go to the ends of the earth to help you out because I fully expect to cash in that at some point when I need a help with something, you're going to be one of the people I'm going to go to. Um, and nothing's truer in someone like Gerard Leonard, where you know I've went to a conference and wrote them in at the last minute and said, can you help me out with this? The answer was, yeah, no problem but I'm paying it back as well. I fully agree with Mike's sentiment of paying it forward. I love that. Um, I, there's a lot of people out there um, that agendas are not an issue. I don't mind if you have an agenda as long as I know what it is. I don't mind if it's yourself focused, ego focused. That's cool. You do you absolutely be unashamedly yourself. The problem is there's a lot of people out there in the industry, and I'm not talking just infosec, every industry has them where it's it's self it's self-focused and it's like i'm only helping you because it makes me look good we wanted to steer right away from that because that's not what makes us happy and it's all fake anyway 
you know it's all this bullshit you see on twitter where someone's like oh my god this person's so great and then they respond oh my god you're so great too and it's built an echo chamber we wanted to break out of those echo chambers these cliques these small twitter networks that we're always part of and go we just want people to do cool shit tell us the cool shit and we will support that because they have no agenda other than just getting that cool shit out there and i think i hope we've delivered on that promise i I hope we even came close to that Um, and we will always strive to keep doing that we will and i think yeah i agree with that completely and i think we will always continue to do it our way as well and that's not a selfish thing to say it's when we reflect back on Bacon one um there were a lot of infosec rock stars at Bacon one and when we decided we were going to do Bacon two we reached out to practically everybody that participated in Bacon one and said hey we're doing this get behind it and retweet it quite frankly hardly any of them bothered so that's not really paying forward backwards sideways or anything you know all we wanted was a retweet and hardly anybody could be bothered to retweet about it so we won't do a Bacon one again in the in the model that we we used with Bacon one we we won't be blowing smoke up people's asses just because they can blow smoke up their own ass going forward so we'll be more punk I think is the the term that I'd use we'll do our own thing it'll be DIY but if you'd never heard of any of the speakers that came at Bacon 2, you fucking will soon. And, and that was what we got out of that. I think that's a motivation for you then that was, you know, moving forward. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I'll quietly go to my grave, Jay, knowing that we've got future champions in our, in our world community industry, whatever you want to call it, that have done, have learned a little bit from the experience and gone off and developed and then developed other people. Personally, I'd be delighted with that. So speaking of developing other people, uh, have you found yourself to be speaking to your kids as if they were beer con speakers? Scott, would you like to answer that? (laughs) 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 I I have no kids, so that's easy. Uh, No is the answer. Superb. Brilliant. Um, my answer is also no, even though I've got like lots and lots of children. Um, the answer is no. It's uh, I've come become accustomed this year to using the daddies in a meeting thing a lot. <laughs> daddies in a meeting, and and the mums using the same thing. Daddies in a meeting, and they go <laughs> and that's it. Go off and play quietly. So that that's been pretty much the way that that's worked out. Uh, yeah. You saying that you don't do, you know, the ten minutes remaining, five minutes remaining when it goes oh, it's close to bedtime, because you totally should. That would like ten minute remaining, one minute remaining. Cut now. <clears throat> the worst thing really was, and we chatted about this with the bear farmers, was on the 29th of October, which was day one of the event. Um, I'm setting up. Everyone else is setting up, <clears throat> and a van appeared in the neighbor's drive. And I'm thinking, oh shit, and it was some building management. Uh, building renovation company and then proceeded to spend the entire two days of the event drilling and smashing things up and making an absolute monster of a noise while i'm here trying to help deliver a conference and that was chaos it was terrible and they're still fucking here (laughs) still this morning they're still out there banging away drilling holes in things no idea what the hell they're doing. It's a two-bedroom townhouse, right, in Manchester. There is not enough building for them to continue to be doing the stuff that they're doing. Yeah, 
I digress. Sorry. Well, at least you got bu- at least you got builders. I got um, leaf blowers and all sorts. I mean, every time I try and film or do a radio interview, they turn up. It could be pissing with rain, and they're still there going. You're like, shut up. Yeah. But luckily, none of it came through in the recording because we weren't talking ever. It was the speaker. So, very true. We still do have a few other questions from the that have come in from the audience. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chris, uh, though he's just messaged to say he's he's nipped away, but we'll we'll ask his question so he has it for the recording to listen back on. Um, when infosec happier was touched on, um, does the implicit this of uh, it being alcohol focused, as presumably are beer farmers. Um, have you found that to be an obstacle to diversity of speakers, e.g., religion, culture, addiction? Well, um, funnily enough, no, um, <clears throat> because people are rational, generally speaking. All right, not everyone, but oh, nice advert there, Scott, for the point. And yeah, well done. Um, <laughs> this is water, Elsie. <laughs> oh, fantastic! But no. And, and we've never kind of played on the beer farmers thing being about booze. It's just been the name we picked and it was a happy accident that we picked the name. Um, and we've never really encouraged any of that stuff either. And consequently, we've not got a, an, um, a persona around it. It's a name. It's like Led Zeppelin. What the fuck does that mean? <clears throat> you know, whose idea was the Rolling Stones as a name for a band? What a shit idea that was. Um, and consequently, same with the beer farmers. It's, you're not judged on what the na- the name of your operation. You're judged on your output and and your deliverables and things that you do and the change that you deliver. Um, and and we've got evidence of that. Not that we're looking for any evidence, but we've got a real wide reach of people that we've engaged with, and got involved with. You know, I'll, I'll give B be an example. Presumably, a, a Muslim, obviously based out in Pakistan. We when we did Beer One, we we did a Follow the Sun thing. It was a beer farmers event, fully branded, but we had people from all walks of life and. We continue to do that. And yeah, I think I was worried about it. I mean, I think somebody had a little question about it when we did Beercon 2 was maybe you want to remove Beercon 2 as the name of your conference because it's, it might not look good on somebody's resume, which from that you can assume is an American person that made that comment. Uh, <clears throat> and we just went, ah, oh, piss off. We are what we do. Here, here's the thing, though. We don't force diversity. It just happens. We don't try and force it. We don't look at a, a, a CFP list and go, they're all white males. No. Like, whoever replies, whoever emails us, whoever says you want to speak, great. That's all it means. Like, that, that's it. That's all we wanted. We don't try and force it in anything we do because it always naturally happens. And if it doesn't, then there's no point shouting at the people that did turn up to your event or conference or happier or drinking club or non-drinking club or book club or lunch club. It doesn't really matter. You need to fix the fundamental problem that caused that to happen. Not shout at the people that have actually turned up and are trying to fix the issue. Like let's fix the, 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 the root cause, the root symptom. Let's fix that. Don't try and fix the output and shout at the people who did actually turn up. That's my two cents, and I don't want to go into another Twitter rant about that. So we could we could actually have an entire evening discussing this topic, couldn't we? But yeah, I, I just get blocked even more. So <laughs> I was going to say we could share your Twitter handle at the end, just if someone wants to check if they've blocked you yet or not. So. <laughs> Wait, we can actually just put this in the chat. Um, <laughs> so uh, Chris has another question this time specifically for Scott. Um, 
so mentoring and peer mentoring uh, as a form of peer review. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. When we're talking about scientific peer review, um, it's seen more as a rejection process with um, an often cruel and limited feedback. Um, what you're describing sounds more like cooperative shaping of talks, which includes, uh, but goes further than peer review. Uh, do you agree with this sentiment? Yeah, um, I I do a lot of work and people just shit all over it. I used to do a lot of work and they used to just shit all over it for the sake of shitting all over it um, under the guise of um, development you know, personal development and it's bullshit, you know, oh, you know, you should really do this this way or you should change your language or you should say this, this differently or you shouldn't do this. Screw that. Um, I think it needs to be more cooperative development. Um, basically exactly what Chris has said. Yeah, it needs to be a wee bit more friendly, like just having a friendly pair of eyes. How often, I mean, the four of us, we, the beer farmers do it all the time. Hey, what do you think about this? I've got this thought. And you will get a couple of people going... It's almost there or no that idea is total dog shit fine because there's no like you're not just constantly saying no to me but you're also not constantly saying yes to me there's a there is a middle ground and it's more friendly review friend, friendly feedback not constructive criticism i hate that to constructive criticism because it sounds like you're just going to fucking criticize my work day in day out and never say i really like that so yeah um peer peer review um no cooperative payback yes yeah and, and i think to build on scott's point the key word is collaboration so if if you're afraid of sharing an idea because you think you're going to get destroyed by your peers then they're not really your peers are they they're your enemies and that's a terrible situation to be in right and, and i think using the analogy of being in a band and we are a a kind of a band we are as ian would say a band of brothers <clears throat> um you know you could, we could talk about who, well who came up with the name bear farmers and who, who came up with the idea for beer con one and who came up with the idea of happy hour and who named happy hour and this that and the other there's no point having that conversation because somebody did but the rest of us formed it yeah we we all formed the, the idea of it so the beer farmers were just a chuck away remark made on Twitter in 2018. <clears throat> it became what we are now because we all helped develop the thing that is the beer farmers and all the work that we've ever done, all the talks we've ever delivered and the conferences and all that kind of stuff. We've all done it. It's not been one person that sat there going, right, chaps, you need to do this and you need to do that. And by the way, can you go away and do this? It's rubbish. It's, it's like a really great classic song written by a, a four or five piece band where everyone's got a part to play in it and and that's the beauty of it so if you it, yeah if you come up with a concept or an idea and and you send it to your peers and it gets trashed and rubbish then don't bother sending it to them again just do your own fucking thing cool thanks thanks mike um another question for from Chris, for you, Mike, um, was that you mentioned about speaking not being for everyone, um, but do you think it could or should be for everyone who cares to do it? Um, so do you think you already need to be a good speaker already to to be a speaker, or, or do you think the, the likes of BeerCon, you know, with the well, to paraphrase the question, do you think the likes of BeerCon can take people who wouldn't consider themselves to be a speaker and then turn them into one? Right, great question. Well, some people make money out of speaking, right? 
there are people out there that actually get paid good money for turning up and being a really great orator and having all the lighting, going back to uh, Scott's point about production and all that kind of thing. And they get paid for it. And I've never been paid, apart from in sandwiches, for any infoset gig I've ever done. <clears throat> sandwiches were pretty nice, in fairness. Um, but I suppose at the end of it, it's about what do you get from it yourself? If you get paid for it, then there is an expectation that you deliver it all Hollywood. And, and you know, the... Um, the, the, the major conferences will expect a production from you, a performance from you. But if you're not naturally a Hollywood actor or actress, then it's about the material. It's all about what you're saying. And that's all that matters. The subjects that were covered in Beercon 2 were fascinating subjects. You know, I'll, I'll, not to pick on Ben Ellis, but he, he was, you know, clearly out of his comfort zone delivering his Tokyo takedown talk Tokyo takedown talk easy for me to say <clears throat> he smashed it out of the park fascinating stuff high paced really you know bang 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 this is what happens in 10 minutes um he could do he ben could develop into a, a really natural public orator and get on with doing that stuff but it didn't matter to me at all what mattered was that what he said and i'm only picking him as in a single example it was brilliant. I've watched his talk about three or four times because I enjoyed it that much. So it's all about what you say. You know, it's that, that thing about uh, what you say, how you look, and, <clears throat> and how you say it. The old John F. Kennedy thing, Ich bin ein Berliner. I am a donut squat. Um, but yeah, you, you can stand up and talk about bollocks, or you can stand up and say really fascinating stuff. And that wins for me. I don't need all of the fluff. Yeah. I don't know if that works as an answer, but that's the best you're going to get, mate. <laughs> that's okay. Passion. The difference is passion. It's purely passion. Um, I don't really care what half the content was. I didn't really care. I saw GDPR and thought, oh, God, you know what? It was the most interesting GDPR talk I've ever seen um, because it was passion behind it. Um, that one obviously was Juan's. Uh, Nikos, your stuff, like I, I was just like, yeah, okay, yeah, this is gonna be okay. The passion that was put into it and the gags, I'm not gonna <laughs> dox everything, but the, the gags that were there. Dan Collins talk, holy shit, it was the passion that was poured, it was bucket loads of passion. And that always to me is something that I love. It's just seeing someone who's passionate about something i don't care what it is i'll listen to someone talk about toilets and i literally did um <laughs> but I'll, I'll listen to someone talk about toilets if they're passionate about it and I'll, I'll let them do their own thing and that's awesome i i i get high off that i feed off people being happy and really enjoying themselves yeah so yeah yeah I mean, it was sean was it sean and was it james that both ended their shows with a, a musical interlude it was, it was, yeah, it was a uh, Sean G, um, uh, dossing around packets go brrr, and yep. strong or Parker, um, was talking about hacking a frill machine. Both of them had a musical outro. I think we missed a trick there. I think we should have done a musical outro ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but it was great because it, it, it demonstrated that the, that the speakers had overcome that confidence thing. Not only have I done the talk, but I'm going to pick up a ukulele and just blast it at the end, or a saxophone and play some music at the end. Um, yeah, brilliant. Coming back to, to a point Mike made about reviewing videos, you know, seeing them again and again. Um, 
Scott, you were one of the driving forces, well, actually the driving force to putting these videos online uh, in the two or three days after, well, during and after the con. Uh, so that's actually a hilariously quick turnover. Uh, I don't want to guess how many hours of sleep you've had. Um, <laughs> In fairness, Nikos, I was the driving force. Scott oh. did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> uh, it's me, so, me cracking the whip a little bit. I do apologize for that, Scott. And so, except the one reshooting for technical issues, uh, it's actually a brilliant effort. Can, can can you give us some insights into into this effort? I definitely can, from my point of view. Um, I've done stuff, um, TV work, where I've been on shows and I have no idea what the show is called. I don't know what time it's airing. I don't know what channel it's on. I don't know if it's even going to be in broadcast in the UK. Um, and that's fine until later on you're like, oh, crap, I've got this thing that came in my letter and in, in my inbox and they're asking me what I've done before. They're asking me for a show reel or they're asking me for an example or it comes up in conversation, uh, not down the pub, but in, in work. And they're like, okay, so give me an example of things you've done. And you're like, I can't because I don't know ha where half the stuff is. Um, so a couple of years ago, I made a conscious effort to try and collate my blogs, articles I've been quoted in, articles I've written, videos I've been involved in, whether it just be YouTube productions or anything else and collated all that and i thought you know what we want to get these out the door now because the atmosphere around the con is incredibly high everyone's super high super happy like yeah this is amazing so i was like let's capitalize on this get the talks out now so a, if anybody's missed a talk they don't need to sit for like 20 minutes trying to find that bit of the talk hear a little bit or you know it docks as one of your gags Nikos or it docks as Sean's ukulele segment I want them to experience it the way that everybody experienced it on the day if you tuned in for a particular talk get that up online get it edited get it output get it on the YouTube and that way people can just link to it and they know they've got it um, I've seen conferences that have I've been involved in conferences that had video where the video just six months, 12 months down the line, it was, oh, we've lost it. Or, we, you know, we had a shooting issue on the day. There was a problem with the audio. We've lost the files. I don't need the video footage, but it does kind of suck when that happens because it means that talk is lost forever. And if we get it online quickly as possible, not only do people have something where they can go, look, I did this thing. Um, we can also be proud of it and go, look at this person doing this thing. We did that. We enabled that. This is awesome. And we can rewatch it at our leisure and pleasure. Yeah, I agree completely with that, Scott. <clears throat> and for me, my first public talk was B-Size London. And it was due to be recorded. And it didn't get recorded. There was no equipment in the room when I went and delivered the talk. And <clears throat> I guess I was nervous that it was my first public talk. But I got through it and it went pretty well, but I was ultimately really disappointed because there was no record of it. There's no evidence that it ever happened apart from the people that were in the room. And that was why it was so it, personally, it was really important that we, we got a recording and we got a, a good quality recording done that we could then give people, we'd own that material. <clears throat> the people that stood and delivered the talk, they own the material. It's their stuff. Uh, we, all we did was enable it, to use your word, Scott. We helped it happen. But your talk, 
Nikos, your talk, Jay. Everyone else's talk. It's not the property of the bear farmers. It's the property of you people that have the balls to go ahead and do it in the first place. That quite leads us on to a question from Twitter from uh, GingerPanda07. Um, so in terms of the rookies and newcomers in the industry, what changes, just even just a quick thought, what changes would you want to see moving forward, moving into 2021? Go on, Scott. Uh, gatekeeping. That needs to get the fuck out the door right now. See this bullshit of, well, uh, I'm not interacting with you because you have seven followers and uh, or you you know, you know haven't spoken at this conference so you don't follow that person. Or even worse, I know that you don't like a person or disagreed with, with a person and I am friendly with that person, therefore I will not speak to you. I want that bullshit to disappear. I think there's so many cool people out there with cool stories, cool projects. You don't need to like them to appreciate their work, right? We don't need to like people to understand where they're coming from. Um, and again, I just want to clarify, I'm not saying be friends with Nazis. I'm saying, you know, you, you, there is a place for people to have disagreements, especially if they're healthy. I think it's incredibly important. Um, but yeah, the gatekeeping needs to go more opportunities for rookies. We keep saying the same people talk at conferences and I include myself. We keep saying the same people over and over again. So there's intentional gatekeeping and accidental gatekeeping, i.e. same conference every year, same people, which is fine. That's that's okay. They have some cool insights and they might want to do a follow-up or uh, you know, plus one to something they spoke about before. Great. But more rookies need to speak and get the opportunity and be, I'm not suggesting that rookies absolutely need attention and a lot of mollycoddling and a lot of babying and a lot of handholding. That's not what I mean, but they need the support to be able to go, okay, this is how, it, how, it's, how it's done. Because you know, if I turn up to talk, I don't need to be told, uh, you know, when you use a microphone, make sure you always hold it in front of your mouth and at this, this distance. I came from a music background, as did Mike. We know how to use a microphone. That stuff is just never going to disappear. But a lot of people, you see it, public speakers, they end up doing this with the microphone. It's a way down at their, their nipples. And you're like, I can't hear a damn word. We don't need to be told all the basics. You know, what resolution does your PowerPoint need to be in or your slides need to be in? Do you need an HDMI cable? Do you have the connectors? Is your um, email app on your phone or email... Um, a laptop turned off so it's not flashing up when you're presenting are you using two screens so therefore you need to do this i'd love to see the accidental gatekeeping yeeted and a lot of support to people that want to get into it personal thought yeah i couldn't, couldn't really argue with any of that scott to be honest i think the um i worry that conferences and, and events like conferences meetups and so on become a little bit you're in it because you organize it and that's not what we're about that's the last thing we want to be perceived as being doing um <clears throat> and it almost seems like there are hidden committees in some conferences whereby you need to be friends with people in order to get a, even a chance to get your talk accepted and that seems very wrong to me and that for me is the very essence of, of what you described there scott around gatekeeping yeah, kind of <clears throat> secret societies of these weird folks, probably mostly men, actually, <clears throat> in fairness. Um, so we should see less of that, more transparency, more, uh, more. Have you got something to say? Right. What, what do you want to say? Tell us. Oh, 
That sounds fucking cool. Right, come and say it. End of story. Now, what did we do, Scott, in order to accommodate the speakers in our conference? We doubled the length of the damn thing. The original plan was not to have a two-day conference. It was originally a one-day conference. But such was the quality and the nature of the people that wanted to come and speak that we said, bollocks, we'll just make it a two-day conference. didn't make any difference to us. We just needed a bit more time and hope that people that came along to it had the time to, sh- to spend over two days rather than just the one. <clears throat> That's about flexibility and about being uh, open-minded and helpful and trying to get to the objective that you want to get to. Um, but yeah, I think I agree. Gatekeeping, let's yeet that shit out. Mm, thanks very much. Awesome, awesome answer. Um, coming back to secret societies with weird people in them, uh, InfoSec Happy Hour, uh, a question came back every time you had a guest speaker, and that was, what is your favorite dinosaur? Except you've never been asked the other question, which is, what is your least favorite dinosaur? Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, Cotton Peas. They're pretty shit. What? Yeah, you know the, the tiny things that Jeff Goldblum. You know the the, the Jurassic Park two where the girl screams and then just flashes to Jeff Goldblum. They're pretty shit. I mean, in, in like large numbers, yeah, they can do damage. But you know, you can just like eat them out of the way if you if you didn't like them. Just. I I my I don't even know what the name of it is, but in Jurassic Park, the one that has the head that goes into a flower thing. You know when the guy's in the car is stealing the stealing the DNA. Oh yeah, they get stuck on the waterfall, and he ends up getting mutilated by a dinosaur. It's that one. He opens the car door, and this thing appears. It's like a, a Velociraptor, but it's not. And it's got a head that just suddenly turns into like a fan. Nope, nobody get that one. Right, okay, mm. never mind. Uh, my answer is chicken. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. Uh, can anyone in the chat? Uh, I, I think we have a few dinosaur experts confirm that those are indeed uh, dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's your question. Yeah. Um, just saying there, uh, this Ginger Panda 07's come back with another follow-up question, just asking, would the idea of interviews with newcomers help bring changes for them? Um, I don't know if that means, you know, doing an interview along with your call for paper or um, just even interviews after someone's been accepted. Um, I, don't, I don't know what changes <clears throat> that, that Ginger Panda's kind of referring to when we did Bacon one it was more of a it was like a an interview process so the people that came along to Bacon one we didn't go right your time is now go and say something and then thanks for your time we actually had to facilitate it It was more like an interview scenario um which made it harder work actually because you've got to keep the facilitation going and keep the the conversation happening and over 26 and a half hours that's hard work but um (laughs) With Bacon 2, it was different. It was more, you know, you're delivering the material. <clears throat> the floor is yours. It's not a beer farmer's thing. It's you. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. We could maybe, next time around, we could maybe mix it up a little bit and have a, a combination of talks and then a combination of chats. I don't know. Yeah, we could we could think about doing that. I don't, I'm not sure whether that even answers the question, but that's how I understand it. <laughs> Um, so we've had a question from Leonard, uh, which has been sitting here quite nicely since uh, an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, so we're going to get to that. Um, Scott, uh, we, 
we were talking about your, your introduction to the beer farmers. Um, what can you disclose about your initiation rituals to, into the beer farmers and how do you feel about them? I, I can't, uh, how do I feel about the beer farmers? Well, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> no, they, I can't tell you everything, um, but there was a lot of talcum powder that was bulk bought at one point. Um, it was required. It was actually forewarned by an ex-beer farmer that you should bulk buy talcum powder. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, nice one. No, seriously, bulk buy it. Um, that came in really handy. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few things that are off the table. Um, but yeah, um, chafed thighs. Thighs. And I did not appreciate the, the DNA test that arrived in the mail, but, you know, there's there's that. I, I've done yeah. criminal record background checks and all that kind of stuff, and that did not come anywhere close to the crap that I had to go through for the beer farmers. <laughs> and, and, and on a more serious point as well, it, it was not it was not a straightforward process either. It wasn't a case of, oh, Scott wants to become a bear farmer. Yeah, bring him in. <clears throat> no problem. No, Scott, you're now a bear farmer. That didn't happen. Um, there was a certain amount of reticence within the group about bringing, not Scott specifically, but bringing somebody else in because we'd had a little bit of a, a departure of a couple of people who I mentioned at the beginning. And so we felt, well, we're back to the original four, the fab four, if you like. Um, do we really need somebody else involved? And so, yeah. We kind of took a, a bit of a gamble with Scott, but he's more than paid off. Yeah, I think we. It just we, sounds like all oh, my ex-girlfriends. It kind of took a bit of a gamble, to be honest. Didn't took know. a bit of a gamble, <laughs> with Scott. but we did. But we did on the insistence of one of the other members of the Bear Farmers that's not with us this evening, um, put Scott on a six-month probation period, which actually, in terms of the calendar, Scott's still in his six-month probation period, but we. Um, we quite happily reduced that down to about a week and a half after um, his sterling involvement and input into what we were doing with Beercon. So he's now a fully fledged member. We do get people asking us the question, Scott, and you've had somebody recently going, "How do I become a bear farmer?" It doesn't it doesn't happen like that? It's not the way it works. And it, and anybody that wants to criticise us for being an all white male group, <clears throat> well, we haven't always been like that. We've had female representation in there. You know, we, I'm Scottish. Scott's Scottish, uh, Sean claims to be Scottish, Ian claims to be Scottish, and, and John's Belgian. So we're, we're from everywhere, right? Literally. Absolutely. So we've, uh, we've come to our final question of the night. Um, fuck, fuck for that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, how much beer could a beer farmer farm if a beer farmer could farm beer? Scott? Great question. Oh God! Um, well, you've seen my um, my ingest of beer on Happier and every other night. To be honest, uh, it depends. Um, is said beer farmer that is farming the beer? Um, are they verified on Twitter? Do they have a smoke alarm? <laughs> <laughs> it just there's a lot of there's a lot of additional context here that you're missing. Um, <laughs> Yes. Do they speak in Morse code? Uh, so there's a lot of context there. I think in general cases, I, I would probably, I would probably just fall back on my usual um, and say a shit ton. Mike. Yep, a shit ton. I think that's fair. If you if you need a number, it's forty two because it's the mm -hmm. number for the answer for everything is is forty two. Um, 
but yeah, going back to the Twitter verification, I, I, I'm one of the big things that the Bay Farmers are going to be picking up on in the new year is the is getting on the the campaign to verify everyone on Twitter. So we think that's really important that you shouldn't be on Twitter unless you're verified. So that's something that we're going to be campaigning heavily around. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, look look out for that. We're going to be strongly getting behind everyone being verified. Then therefore, it means nothing whatsoever, which. Currently, it means nothing whatsoever, right? So we're pretty cool on that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, how much beer could a beer farmer farm if a beer farmer could farm beer? I got that right. Well done. Yeah, yeah. lots, <laughs> lots. <laughs> well, uh, that was our last question. So uh, I wanted to thank you both personally for uh, being here with us on, you know, Security Coffee House. I wanted to thank my co-host there for being fantastic. Um, and I wanted to thank James for giving us a platform, uh, which ironically we've been sometimes uh, dissing on over the course of this <laughs> podcast. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's about it. Uh, thank you very much, and thank yeah. you for all the people in attendance. That was one awesome. last thing, Scott. Yeah, one last thing. Um, we still have a couple of bits of swag to give away. If you want these, you need to go to BeerCon dot tv slash swag fill out the form and you know an, an envelope with swag or something else that may get doggies very interested in it at customs will arrive in your mailbox within a few days so you know and, please... and don't and don't spam the form with hans gruber nakatomi plaza because that winds scott up <laughs> it, it, it does wind me up to be fair you, you've all been doing it um mainly because i, I get halfway through the royal mail customs form i'm like jeff oh shit every time i'm like address is already and i've put like boris johnson oh god damn it so um there is only a hand oh no there's been about 25 entries from other people as well there are there are only a few items of swag to go so you know uh, manage expectations but if you want some swag that's how you get it we'll be releasing the details publicly if there's any left on monday um but yeah no listen jer uh, nikos and james for for providing the platform thanks you've been excellent hosts it's nice to be in the other seat for a change <laughs> but yeah absolutely and and yeah echo everything that scott said there but add <clears throat> from my own point of view specifically on bacon too would have happened without the people that were there all right you know we, we created a boat but it was empty without the people that got in got on board all right so you know nikos jay you were there you did you you did your part um all the mentors all the speakers all the roadies hopefully you'll get all your little gifts before the end of the year um we look forward to seeing you tweeting your images of how proud you are that you've got a bear coin and how proud you are you've got a pint pot and all that kind of stuff um but thank yeah. you <laughs> thank you very much you you made our lives easy by getting involved and doing what you did so can't thank you enough but and james thanks for doing the coffee house stuff it was kind of surreal in some ways looking back somebody else kind of taking a, a kind of a sort of longer term view or longer back view if you like of what had gone on from bacon right through to tonight so I want to thank James for putting the coffee house stuff on, giving the speakers an opportunity. It was fascinating hearing them saying, oh, I'd do all this again. I'd do that again. I loved it. It was great. That made it worthwhile for me. Um, so thanks very much. And thanks to you two chaps for having us on. Yeah. Thanks, lads.